from First Peter. We've gone through it pretty quickly. We could have gone back and, and covered some more topics. Even today, uh, we're going to uh, skip over some parts in, in chapter 5, and it's a, a short chapter. Uh, usually when we look at a text like this, we want to, uh, to say, how does it relate to the church? How does it relate to our lives as individuals? And if we were doing that, we would probably largely look at verses 8 uh, through 11, and uh, the idea that, that Satan's, uh, uh, the devil is a roaring lion and that we're to resist. And um, uh, at the end there, it's very encouraging. as it, it says, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's a, a very reassuring uh, promise there. And uh, we could explore that. Uh, but I just want to, uh, we're, we're going to spend our time today in the first part of the, the chapter because it's a topic that we don't get to talk about very often. And uh, it really is what does church leadership look like? Uh, what does healthy church leadership look like as laid out in Scripture? And, uh, and, and so that's where our focus will be. Uh, I, I need to... I guess be clear as we're beginning this that I'm, you know, invested in this. I'm part of church leadership. I contribute to whether or not we have a healthy church leadership here at Lawson Road, and uh, and you're quite entitled to have your own opinions as to whether how what sort of contribution I make. Uh, so so I've been here at Lawson Road a little over twelve years, and uh, that's been ups and downs and. Uh, so some of those have been easy times, others have been difficult times. So uh, the last year has been, I don't know, we'll just say challenging, right, in terms of not just individually but as, as a church leadership. Uh, so this sermon, though, is really just dealing with the text. Nothing I say is, oh, Peter's going through a crisis and he's putting out a plea for some sort, you know, uh, for rescue. Uh, I have no concerns as I stand before you today uh, about where I'm at in, in relation to what's going on here at Lawson Road. So I say all that because, as I say, the first words, to the elders among you. It's a, a letter that is written, or, or this part of the letter is written to the elders. But I, I want to give you this bigger context. I've, I think I've done this every week. What's the bigger context of First Peter, right? The church is experiencing... Struggle, difficulty, hardship. Um, it's being people are distancing themselves from the Christians and the Christians are being isolated. And so what I believe is happening here is that as Peter writes to these elders, and remember it's not just one set of elders, it's elders in all these towns throughout this region of Asia Minor or, or uh, Turkey, north uh, eastern Turkey. And... And so as he writes to them, he says, I know you're going through suffering. Right? That's the context. And, and I think he says, if, you're, if you as a church had to get through this period of suffering, it's not persecution in the sense of being fed to the Christians, being dragged from their beds and fed to the lions, but it's definitely a time of hardship. He says, if you're going to get through this, he's given them different ways of doing it. You're to support each other. Your household's a bit of support. If you're, you're to submit to one another. You're to suffer. Make sure if you're suffering, it's for doing good. Um, love one another deeply. So there's all these 
directions on how they're to relate to each other. And, and, and he never says specifically, comes out and just explicitly says, this is what's going to get you through. But I think that's why he's talking about these things. He doesn't need to say it. And so as he closes, he says, what's going to help this church survive or your churches to survive and, and thrive and prosper in the midst of hardship is if you have a healthy leadership. Right? I'm not just going to spend the whole letter talking to the members. Right? He says, I need to take a few moments to talk to the leaders because that's going to be important to getting you through. Right off the top, we see that Peter... Um, he, he identifies, he comes alongside these elders. Uh, there's a world of difference between the churches, the towns in, in northwestern, northeastern Turkey and Rome, where Peter was probably writing from. It's kind of like New York City and Wyoming, if we were to try and pick something. Um, and, and so Rome was the largest city of the world. It was the center of the universe at that time. And that's probably where Peter is writing from. I don't know if you remember pictures I showed of Cappadocia. It's a rocky, sort of mountainous desert region. Uh, there were no really big cities. It was a place that was on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And so Peter, though, doesn't come in and say, hey, I'm all sophisticated you know, I'm this sophisticated New Yorker. I know what you need to do. I'm going to come and I'm going to help you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to fix things up. I remember we had a, an American come to my church in Australia. And uh, we were really, really excited about him coming to talk to us. My church was about 30 people that I grew up in. And uh, this guy was going to come and talk about church growth. And uh, he came and he was so enthusiastic. He said, the way you do it is you get your church up to about two or three hundred and then you take a hundred of those people and you go and you plant a new church and you multiply in this way. We were like, that, that sounds fantastic. We'll let you know when we get to 300. You know? <laughs> and uh, because where he was coming from, that made sense. Didn't make any sense in our context. There wasn't a church in my town that was... I don't know where I would have had to travel. Probably drive an hour to the largest nearest large city uh, to get to a church of about that size of, of any any denomination and so it, it was just irrelevant so Peter as he writes to them comes alongside and says hey there fellow elders let me put my arm around you we're in this together and he, he says further on he says I'm a witness let me remind you I'm a witness of Christ's suffering so not only have I just heard about your suffering, but I've seen Christ suffer. And remember, we're following Christ. And so there's this real sense of empathy there in the beginning. And I think that's a great demonstration of what leadership, healthy, godly leadership looks like, just in those first few words. And then the this next thing he does, and again in verse 1, is he points and he says, we're going to share in that glory. Okay? Um, Witness of Christ's suffering who will share in the glory that is to be revealed. Okay. So Christ's sufferings wasn't the end of the story. Your sufferings are not the end of the story. There's always a glory that is to be revealed. Right. We're inspired. We live because of the hope that Christ gives us. So he, Peter does his own 
setting of the, of the context. And then he gives three instructions. And uh, let's see if I can put this slide up. And uh, if I can, it might need to learn us. It's not moving for me there. Maybe I need to turn it on. There we go. If I turn it on, uh, we go a lot better. Okay, we've got three things there. Watch over the flock because you want to. Don't do it for money. Be eager to serve. And don't lord it over. Be examples. And so that's where I want to spend our time this morning. One of the, the first things to note here is that although this is written, these instructions are written to elders, our churches are quite different from the churches of the first century. Um, we're meeting in a building. We can fit a lot of people in our building. There's also, we need a minister, minister leader or a deacon of buildings. Um, they met in homes, probably small homes. Uh, if you were an elder in a particular town in Cappadocia, there might have been four groups meeting in four homes and you were an elder of the church that covered those four, uh, four homes, if it was a big church, because okay, you couldn't presume that everybody would fit in one, one house as the church group. Uh, so there was no deacon over church buildings, no decisions to be made about parking lots, uh, or roof replacing roofs or whatever. You know, so their circumstance is different. So when he writes to the elders, uh, these are uh, men that are following in the Jewish tradition. This was how Jews structured their synagogues and other communities. And he says, okay, you're the, the leaders of this congregation. And God's given you a responsibility to lead, to watch over the, the flock there. But I, I don't have any problem with expanding that application to us today to say this is the principles that we see here are certainly pertinent not only to our elders, to our ministers, to our deacons, to our ministry leaders. Okay? Maybe not in every detail, but the, the values, the principles are going to be the same as we move through here. And you can make those applications uh, in your mind. And I'll talk at times about leaders rather than just elders. And so first is watch over the flock because you want to. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. So most of us here today are not elders. Um, most of us are not deacons. Most of us are not ministry leaders. And so uh, I don't want to um, you know, just give specific instructions to the elders, to a group of people that it's not relevant to. Uh, so, so what I want to do is I want to uh, just point out this idea, watch over the flock because you want to. Do you think about that? That we have four elders here at Wilson Road. Do they want to be elders. Um, now they did, when they were appointed, they agreed to it. Right? They said, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing. Um, but, but that's been more than a minute ago for all of them. And if you've ever made a commitment to something, you know that you don't always maintain that commitment all the way through. And there are things that, that we as a church are able to do that make it more or less likely for those elders to remain willing. Let me just give you a, a bit of context or a bit of understanding about, uh, about
about leadership in, in the church. Do you know that during the pandemic, it's not just churches and church members who, who struggle? You know, churches have closed, churches have faced budget crunches, members have lost loved ones, lost jobs. It's been a difficult time uh, for many people. Uh, I'm not telling you anything new there. Um, across the country, though, and even across denominations, the, I, I don't have figures, but anecdotally, ministers have stepped away from ministry in the last 18 months uh, in unprecedented numbers. Uh, for many, they've been struggling beforehand, and the pandemic was just an opportunity to say, yep, now's the time for me to step away. Uh, it's either too much, it was already feeling too much, now it's definitely too much, or others just said, yeah, I, now's an opportunity for me to change and someone else to, to step in. Some of those uh, who stepped away were voluntary. It was their decision. In other cases, even during the pandemic, there were churches that decided that their current minister was not the one for the job. Some ministers transitioned to less traditional church models. They didn't move to a different church. Uh, they moved to... Um, that was the same. Maybe they went to plant a church or something that was less less traditional. Um, some started working part-time jobs outside the church and part-time in the church, and that was simply less stressful for them. Uh, many were just worn down and burned out, not just from the pandemic, but from years of stress and the expectations that were placed upon them. And so the pandemic was an opportunity to make that shift. So it doesn't take very long if you search on Google, uh, to, which is where all the best research takes place, uh, to find all sorts of statistics for, uh, th that discuss the pressures that are placed on ministers and their families, and also reasons why ministers leave ministry. Um, there, there's a lot of different uh, surveys and articles written about that. In many ways, it's easier to write those articles about ministers because they're easier to count. Um, and oftentimes, they're the ones doing the writing because they have the time to do that. Uh, but in, in Churches of Christ, with our particular structure, uh, elders and ministers partner together. And many of the pressures that... Uh, are reflected in those statistics about ministers also apply to elders. It's not as though elders had an easy time during the pandemic either. Um, now, there are differences. Elders don't usually have their family's financial well-being hinging on their role in the church. Uh, so, so that's a, a distinction that can be made. But they're still leaders. They're still targets for, for criticism. They're still... Um, in a public role and experience similar scrutiny and at times similar glass houses that ministers and their families do. And, and we could say deacons and, and ministry leaders are in, in that situation to some extent. And that pressure of being in the public eye can wear on you uh, over time. It's normal to, as I said, to willingly accept the spiritual responsibility at the beginning. Um, but 
to, to watch over the flock. But for church, we have a responsibility to keep them willing. Okay, so the, the elders have a responsibility to watch over the flock, to care for the souls of the flock, to, to care for the spiritual well-being, the growth, the, the maturing process of each of us okay, as members in the church. But I think there's a responsibility the church has to the elders. You see, one of the benefits that I have as a minister is that my elders watch out for me. And so they'll say, hey, Peter, how's the family doing? They ensure that I attend workshops, that there's a budget to cover the costs of me attending those workshops. I often go to, uh, usually try and get to about three each year and uh, in different aspects of uh, personal growth, of church ministry. And if I was to go for any extended period of time without attending, then I know the elders would say, Peter, why aren't you going to these places? You need to be uh, filling your well uh, as well. And so they encourage me also to uh, grow and build supportive relationships. Who can you talk to? Um, who have you... Who are you talking to? Not just can you. Who are you talking to? And so there are these kind of, of questions and care that they're able to extend to me. But the question I have is who does that for elders? Okay. Who does that for elders? I believe that that's your job, church. Not in a, a critical way, but you can help your elders, deacons, ministry leaders just by asking how are you filling your well? How are you growing in Christ? Um, and, and so when you make these small steps, some of these small um, offerings to them, it encourages them that they want to continue to serve in that role, uh, not because they feel that they must. And so you can encourage them to pace themselves. How come I see you at every church event? There's no one else I see at every church event except you. Why is that? Because everyone else says, I need to take a break. I wear myself out if I'm at every church event. What do we presume about the elders and their families? They don't wear out. They'll be there. They don't need a break. They're elders. And so sometimes they need to your encouragement, your permission, to say, take this one off. I'll make sure I'm there. Yeah. I've seen you at that event. You're always doing this. This year, I want to do it, and you take a break. And so there are things we can do to relieve that pressure and expectation upon them to allow them the space that they need for their own health and well-being. I'm not at all trying to imply that church events are exhausting. Sometimes we're energized by church events. But not if we're organizing and running and doing and working all the time. Usually, events are most encouraging when we're able to uh, experience them. Okay? When we're the, the, for the purpose that they're being put on. Uh, do you encourage the elders to educate themselves? Ask them what books they're reading. Um, what, what, have you, what are you reading about churches at the moment you know, to become a better elder? What are you reading for your own personal growth at the moment? Can you recommend something for me? Uh, do you encourage elders to go to workshops, to 
to, for their own, again, for their growth, to take a break, to establish and build supportive relationships for themselves, uh, to refresh themselves. And, and so be supportive and make any criticism constructive. And above all, show them love and grace. Because I know I said last week, I need that and they do also. Our ministry leaders need your love and grace. None of us are setting out to try and make life worse for other people, uh, even if sometimes a decision or an action or a word may create that impression. And so I think that's important because elders are to stay in that job as long as they're willing, not because they must. And I think that's important in terms of the expectations that we as a church have for them. Second thing is, uh, don't do it for money. Right. Uh, you can laugh at that point. Who would become an elder for money? Um, and, and so, you know, we don't have a paid eldership. We don't have paid ministry leaders or paid deacons. But that's not to say that money is irrelevant to each of those roles. And, and I think one application that I would make here is, well, there, there's several, but... One is that money can influence decisions. Money can influence decisions. I've only been accused of this once, but I was sitting down in my office. Somebody said to me, you're only agreeing with that person over instead of agreeing with me because they give more in the plate each week. And, and, and that could happen, couldn't it? Okay. Uh, that because I've been here for X number of years, because I give X number each week, then I should get more, I should have more say on how things are done around here. Uh, but, so don't be influenced by money. The, church, the, the goal of being a church leader isn't building wealth, either for the church or for the individual. And, he, and Peter says that, he says, um, don't pursue dishonest gain, don't be greedy but instead be eager to serve. Okay, that's the purpose of being an elder. Being a church leader is to serve, not to accumulate for oneself. Jesus' foot washing at the Last Supper has forever established that definition of leadership in the church. But I believe that wealth and power are a two-headed monster and they threaten the church as much as they threaten any other part of our lives. And so church leaders... Keep your focus on serving. The next one, and the third one here, is don't lord it over. Um, so, so that's sort of a, an old term, isn't it? We don't really have lords anymore. Um, how might we say it? Don't dictator it over. Okay? Don't dictator it over. Um, I, I think... This is a, a difficult one. Um, it shouldn't be, you would think. But remember I said money and power is a two-headed monster. And I think that's what Peter's addressing here. Okay. The first one is the money. The second is the power here. In many churches, the role of an elder has largely become an administrative one. And a lot of that administration deals with money. Okay. So... So when we look at what do elders do, it sort of has to do many times with money and power, with 
you know, uh, making those kind of decisions. And, and sometimes the congregation encourages this. Okay? I, I've certainly seen elderships or individual elders that feel like it's their role to be involved in every decision. And they insert themselves. I've seen ministers, and maybe I'm guilty of this myself at times, insert ourselves into every decision of everything that's going on around the church. Okay? That's lording it over. That's not trusting people to do the work of the church that they're called to do. Um, but, but the church, the congregation, can also contribute to this. You see, things like this can happen. Uh, what color should our new chairs be? Well, we'll let the elders decide. And the elders decide, maybe they decide who decides, but it still runs through the elders. Um, or how much should we pay for lawn mowing? Oh, we'll let the elders decide. Yeah. They'll look at that and they'll decide if it's too much, or if we need to get another quote. Or like, we'll let the elders decide that. But maybe what food should be served at the Christmas party? Oh, wings will take care of it. Yeah, but we'll just run it by the elders to make sure they're okay with it. Okay, and so what's happening there is the church, in each of those instances, is saying, we want the elders to make these decisions or agree to these decisions. Or, or like their role as elders means that their input on these decisions. Like God didn't give elders and ministers a sense of color coordination when it comes to interior decoration. Um, that's not a spiritual gift. Well, it might be, but it's not for elders, okay? It doesn't come with the role of elders. Um, and, and so, church, what are your expectations? Do you feel completely fine if somebody else is just like, this is what I've decided? You say, that's their gift. The elders didn't know anything about it. And you come in and it's bright yellow one week, and it's bright, and you go, oh, I didn't like this. And it's like, but you let that... The elders should have stopped... no. It was delegated. And that might be okay. I'm not saying bright yellow is okay. I don't know what they come up with. Maybe something more sensible than that. That's why I'm not in charge of it either. But it goes both ways. That elders can insert themselves, but also the church can pull elders into making these decisions that they shouldn't be involved in. And so, church, you can help by saying, hey, I'm willing to take responsibility for that. Now, sometimes they're going to say, look, we really want a committee. Yeah, we really want you to work with one or two other people. Um, because sometimes individuals, you know, and again, it can be me, individuals think that we're better at something than we are. Uh, and, and so even though we're willing, we're not always gifted in that particular area. And, that, and so the elders do have a role in saying, yeah, we want to recognize your gifting." in that area. Um, but, but when church members come to us and say, we'll take that responsibility, the elders in many cases, most cases, will gratefully accept that involvement. I think it's significant as we go through the New Testament um, that as the apostles write to new churches, as they help them to establish healthy leaderships in, in different places, there's very little discussion regarding the job description of elders. Very little discussion regarding the job description of elders. Um, however, what we do find more of is discussion about the character of elders, the character 
but deacons and what a mature, spirit-filled Christian looks like. We'll find a lot of stuff written on that. But if you want to come back and say, no, the Bible says that elders should... Here's what we often do. We take the word elder, which can also be used as shepherd or overseer, and we kind of dissect that word. And we say, well, if they're a shepherd, then they should run the budget. I don't know if shepherds run the budget, okay, out there with the sheep. Um, But we'll make that application. Or if they're shepherds, they should... And we can we can sort of load anything we want onto that because we we know shepherds so well, right? We know so much about being shepherds, and um, none of us—I don't know how many of us ever been on a sheep farm—and yet we know what shepherds should be doing in our heads, and then we know what shepherds should be doing in the church, and so we we oftentimes base it off that word more so than that. This is what the Bible tells us that shepherds or elders should be doing. Instead, I believe Scripture says this is to be the character of the leaders in the church. And they're not to lord it over. But they're to live, even here, to live as examples of the flock. Right? So their role is to represent God. I think the reason there's so much talk about character is because they are trying to grow godly character in each of us. That's their purpose. And so sometimes when we say, well, the elders need to make a decision about the resolution of our projector, digital projector in the auditorium. Right? Is that developing godly character in the church? And so if we say this is the primary role of the elders, is developing godly character of the individuals in the church, then how do all these other things, do these other things distract and detract from that? And and does it become a lording over because they're involved in all of these other decisions? What often happens, though, is that because nobody else is available to make that decision, it falls on the plate of the elders. And then people say, oh, they're so micromanaging. In many cases, it's by default. Although as the church grows, and that's particularly the case when it's it's smaller. And so we need church members to take ownership for the needs of the church so that the elders can fulfill their role and their purpose of spiritual growth in the members. I believe Peter describes his ideal church as a partnership between elders and youngers. Okay. Uh, many of us, when we come from a corporate background, we're used to seeing uh, a pyramid-type structure to uh, what a corporation or an organization looks, looks like. Last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, uh, we read this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. That's empowering to each of us, to our members. Each of you, whatever your gift is, you should be using that to serve others. That's how the church functions. That's how the church grows uh, when each person is using gifts. It's also, and and that's a very horizontal, that's a very egalitarian approach, structure to the church. That's not a, a pyramid structure there. It's also interesting to me that elders are not given direct instruction that I can think of for reaching out into their community. 
Um, and so I believe that's part of being a mature Christian, is sharing our faith with those around us. And so elders are to model this, to, to reflect this, uh, for, for people to, to follow their example. That's what's being described here in, in verse 3 of chapter 5. Uh, but that's never given as a specific role. And so you would say, well, what, how does the church function? That the, you've got these people, if you think of it as a pyramid, at the top who aren't concerned about fulfilling the Great Commission. That's not their purpose. You're right, it's not. Their purpose is the shepherding of the flock, those who are already here. And, and, and so when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we see a list here of uh, the, the Apostle Paul gives us of various roles within the ch- early church. And you'll see that some of these roles have a more inward focus and uh, some have a more external focus. And, and they don't compete with each other. Okay? Rather, they complement each other while fulfilling God's purposes. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles. Uh, they're, certain, they're like missionaries, right? They're traveling, very external, but also they're concerned about the well-being of existing congregations. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all the letters that they wrote. Um, but think of those that didn't write letters. Okay? They're out there being very outward focused. Uh, there's also prophets and evangelists. Again, these have an outward role. Pastors and teachers and, and together, who are inward focused, and, and together, all of these equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Sounds very much like Peter's goal there, the second half, but he says it's not just elders at the top of a pyramid. Right? There's a, a row of people with different roles and functions and focuses inside and outside, teaching or going to a bedside, right? Different gifts amongst these leaders. And so rather than than this pyramid shape, it's a flat shape. I'm saying here's different responsibilities. And then when each of those people are fulfilled, those leaders are fulfilling those roles, that's when the church is able to grow. Complementary partnership. All right, so I've talked, I'm nearly done here. I've talked of church members encouraging elders, supporting elders, even at times holding them accountable for their own well-being. But we do need to read verse 5 because it's not as though, oh, well, elders are just like equal with everyone else, nothing special going on here. Uh, But in verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, and really this is everyone that's not an elder. Um, Even if you're older than an elder, you're still here apparently one of those who are younger. Um, You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And, And so we come back to this idea that we've talked about the last couple of weeks of submission. And we saw with husbands and wives a couple of weeks ago the need to submit to one another. Um, We saw last week how the the instruction to love one another deeply, to practice hospitality, how that impacted with slave and master relationships that creates an equality there in those relationships. And so there's throughout the church, even as Peter demonstrates it, he says, hey, I'm an elder along with you, even though he could have used his authority as an apostle. So there's a lot of egalitarian talk, you know, equality talk, but there's also, hey, you need to submit yourselves to the elders. Right? 
And you go, well, they're not to lord it over. How do we do this? How does this work? And, and I think that uh, we're, we're not saying when we say submit, allow yourself to be abused. We're not saying don't ask questions of your elders. Don't, don't ask questions about their decisions or their teachings. But what it is saying is that God has placed these elders in your life with the responsibility to help you grow into the image of God. We're saying that, that there's a responsibility for the church to respect the elders, to listen to them, to learn from them, to support them, and our deacons and ministry leaders, because, because they've been given that responsibility by the church and, and by God through the church. However, they're not infallible, are they? There's only one infallible being in the universe, but, in, but they're in this role because the church has seen God working in their lives and they can serve, recognizes that they can serve as an example for each of us. And so we acknowledge our shortcomings and at the same time we ask you to show grace and love as we pursue transformation into God's image together. And so as we saw in the earlier chapters, Peter is telling, he goes on, he says, all of you, right? Right after he says, you younger you members, submit yourself to the elders. Then he says, all of you, elders and the rest of the church, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So this is how a church is going to get through difficult times. It's when we take the competition out of our relationships with each other, when we're willing to humble ourselves, to serve one another. And so, to all of us, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff that you go, man, I, I'm glad we don't have a sermon like this every week. Um, and, and, and it's sort of like in-house business. You know, like, what should we as a church be like? And leadership structures, and you've never been to an elders meeting, and you don't know all the things we talk about. Uh, it's difficult for you to take this and apply it. And so I think, though, this is where we come to at the end. Be humble. We're all serving God. And we can get through the tough times when we're committed to serving God together.